coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show, the show that will never feature advice on international relations or fashion by Dennis Rodman. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit, here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking podcast or broadcast or radio show, whatever you want to call it, it's all yours. So here it is, Thursday, the middle of June is upon us, so that means basketball season must be finally over. Anyway, in tonight's show, in Pipe Parts, I'm going to talk about pipe collecting collections, what is a collection, how to make a collection, touch on that a little bit. My guest tonight going to be really interesting, Paul Creasy, president of the Sutliff Pipe Tobacco Company, got a lot going on with him, going to talk about, uh, he's kind of been at the forefront of uh, protecting the rights of uh, pipe smokers in uh, the legislation in Washington, D.C. and all that. Uh, music by request tonight from a uh, pipe smoking movie mailbag, rant, all that good stuff. Hey, listen up, everybody. Pay attention, pay attention closely. Next week's show will be Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Yes, that's Wednesday night. Next week's show, Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Ask yourself why. Why? Because Kevin and I will be in uh, Kansas City, actually in uh, Overland Park, Kansas, but in Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas for the Greater Kansas City Pipe Collectors Show. We'll be there. uh, Both of us are arriving on Thursday, so this time normally next week, we'll be uh, at the uh, Kansas City Pipe Club's meeting on Thursday night right before the show. So don't forget, next week's show, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday night. Tonight's show, hey, guess what? I just finished up a trunk show at uh, Faders of Owings Mills in Baltimore, Maryland, so this show is 100% completely pre-recorded. 100% completely pre-recorded because we couldn't find a place where I could get to and uh, be able to do the show from in the time that it took in the Baltimore area. Couldn't figure it out. So anyway... That's what's going on. I'm in uh, Maryland as you're listening to this show right now, hopefully having a crab cake or two after a uh, great trunk show. So, all right, everybody, fire up a bowl, sit back, relax. Let's get the show going. Here we go. There's nothing quite like a good book or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Pipes Magazine radio show to explore new pipes, to seek out new tobacco, to smoke that tobacco. Welcome back. All right, let's get right into pipe parts here with pipe collecting. I think there's a couple of different kinds of collections of pipes, and then there's the uh, the general pipes that we own that we call our collection. Some people might call it the herd because when you're getting rid of pipes, you're kind of thinning the herd. 
I have at home, I have really three parts to the pipes that I own. I have a collection of Disney pipes, the Walt Disney World and Disneyland basket pipes. Those are pipes that I collect. I don't really care what shape or size or color they come in. I want them, I buy them, I keep them, and I collect them. And there's very few of them that I actually smoke. Then I have my standard rotation of pipes. That is another collection that's very eclectic, gather, you know, runs the entire gambit of size, shape, finish, manufacturer, and everything. I kind of call that my, my standard rotation. Those are the pipes that I smoke most of the time. Now, you want to add into it a third part because I'm in the business. I have my work pipes, the pipes that I smoke for work. They're pipes that I represent, pipes that I'm interested in selling. So I want to know all about them. I want to know how they perform. So there's the three parts to my collection. Now, what I've noticed from some of the very serious pipe collectors is the collections tend to run in different kinds of in themes. There is people like Tad Gage who have a huge collection of barlings and barling pipes. Then there's people like Dr. Billy Taylor who has the collection of the pipe, the uh, plastic or space age pipe that you could put in the dishwasher. Then there's the other folks out there that collect a style of pipe. Our uh, regular listener, favorite listener, John Seiler, likes one particular shape of Costello, the Hawkbill. So he collects that shape. Now he's branched it out from Costello into many other manufacturers or pipe makers, but it's one shape specific. Uh, in Chicago, a couple of years ago, Gib Robinson had a display of his very large pipes. I mean, giants, magnums, all big pipes. That's what Gib likes. Most recently, when what made me start thinking about this was the uh, collection of bamboo-shanked pipes that was on display at Chicago. And they all kind of started off with the Conowitz bamboos and then worked their way through many other makers. So a collection of pipes doesn't have to be themed around one shape or one manufacturer. It can be a mixture of stuff. What I think is interesting is if we all look at our racks that are in our regular smoking rotation... Do we naturally lean towards one style of pipe over the other? I know some people that really like long-shanked billiards or lavats, all straight pipes. I know a lot of people that like the bent billiards or bulldogs. They've got a fascination with that. Uh, one of the guys in the Richmond area collects squat bulldogs. They have to be very low, almost a saucer shape. So where does our regular rotation of pipes fit into this? Is it really correct to call the pipes that we have at home our collection, or is it more or less our uh, rotation or our herd? Either way, nothing, nothing right or wrong here. I'm just wondering if when we start to develop a more finite uh, taste in pipes, what pipes exactly do we like? Do we stick with one style? I started out in that Longshank Lumberman Lavat saddle bit kind of a kind of a model. I still have a good chunk of those, but then I moved into some of the more uh, stylized bents and freehand styles of 
some of the Japanese and some of the Danish, and I kind of moved around. And with the Americans, I've moved around a little bit, and I'm looking at a few of my pipes here, and they don't all fit into that long shank lavat anymore. So when you look at your own collection or your own rotation of pipes, do you find a style that you like? Do you find a size that you like? When you start really diving into collecting pipes, do you really work on one brand? Or do you work on one shape? Do you work on one finish? In particular with like the bamboo shanks. Is, that to me is kind of a finish. So do you work on that? All different kinds of collecting and collections going on in the hobby. The best part of what I like about our hobby is that even with as inexpensive as my Disney pipes were, they're still considered a real collection. They're given the respect the same respect as somebody who's collecting all artisan-made magnums or handcrafted this and that. Really great collections. But that's the beautiful part of our hobby is that you can have a collection. And as long as you're passionate about it and you love it, it is your collection. And most people in the hobby will appreciate it. So I'm going to run this out. This is uh, just some of my thoughts on collecting and what's a collection versus what's a smoking rotation. I've rambled on long enough. Let's get, uh, let's get to the interview with Paul here because there's a lot of good stuff coming up. So we'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there. Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. Com. Joining me on the telephone, and this is going to be tough for me because here's another one of those guests that I have that is way smarter than I am, so everybody bear with me. President of the Sutliff Tobacco Company, newly purchased by McBaron Tobacco Company, the one and only Paul Creasy. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. I'm, I'm glad, to, glad to be on the show and uh, look forward to our talk. So tell us a little bit about your background, how'd you get into the business, and just all that in maybe 30 seconds, because we got a lot of good stuff to get to. Yeah. You know, it's ironic. I've, I've been, uh, I joined the company back when it was still owned by Consolidated Cigar in 1990. My, my background was production and operations management, and I joined the company originally as assistant controller to set up the MRP system. And over the over the years, uh, you know, I moved on up to become general manager. Eventually, I worked for a guy named Phil Maloney, who in the pipe tobacco world was pretty big. He was general manager of Lane for many years. He worked for Liquid Meyer, and he taught me a lot about tobacco over the years. Casale Cigar got bought by 
Seda and then Seda merged with Tobacco Lera de Espana to become Altidus and then Imperial bought Altidus and then then Imperial pulled off the Settler Tobacco Division to McBaron and here we are. So you've had one job and about 18 owners. That is correct. It's fairly typical in the tobacco business. You know, uh, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger people buying us. And uh, I'll be honest with you, one of the things that I'm the most enthused about with this uh, last move is that now we are going to be owned by somebody who is in the pipe tobacco business and knows something about it that is committed to the pipe tobacco business. And that, that makes a big difference. You know, when you're in the pipe tobacco world and you're owned by an enormous conglomeration of cigarette companies, uh, you know, you are, uh, to use an analogy, when Imperial bought Altidus, it's like if you buy a house, and if the house you buy has a shed in the back, the shed was the, the cigar division, and the, uh, the, the lawnmower that was inside the shed was the pipe tobacco division. I mean, we, in, the, in the world of tobacco, pipe tobacco is, is small compared to cigarettes, so we were not a prime product for them at all. And uh, pipe to, the pipe tobacco world and the cigarette world are completely different worlds, completely different consumers. The products are manufactured completely differently. Uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of products. They have like 12. So it was a it was not a good fit. Uh, the McBearn people definitely know about pipe tobacco. I mean, they've been in it since Moses was in high school. I've known the, the Hallberg family for years. I've known Pierre Book, who's the CEO of McBaron for 20 years probably. So it is, a, it is a good fit to finally find a home with people that are in the pipe tobacco business. So I'm very enthused. This is a good move, not only for us, but I think also for the pipe tobacco industry. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the industry because one of the things that I don't think a lot of people know is that you are primarily responsible for, uh, in your position and by the fact that you're in Richmond, Virginia, uh, you've been heavily involved in federal legislation. That is correct. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I I belong to an organization. <laughs> I'm actually chairman of it. It's the Pipe Tobacco Council, which is a trade lobbying organization for the pipe tobacco industry. Uh, and I was treasurer for years. Clint Price, who was the former chairman of Middleton, uh, was was president. I mean, was was chairman before me. Well, when he died, I, I became I suddenly became chairman. And it's funny in the old days before legislation got completely out of hand, the biggest thing we would discuss at the uh, at the Pipe Tobacco Council meeting was whether we were going to have fish or beef next year at the, <laughs> at the meeting and what time tee-off was the next day. And uh, those days are long gone. I mean, it has been a flurry uh, that has turned into a blizzard of activity just in the last five years. Um, I know when um, when SCHIP, the State Children's Health Insurance Program, went through back in 2009, uh, I went up, I was on that train from Richmond to D.C. Oh, it seemed like every other week having to lobby members of Congress and, and whatnot because one of the things, you know, speaking as chairman of the Pipe Tobacco Council for a minute, <clears throat> pipe tobacco industry is obviously very small. And so we're not able to hire the, the, the big money uh, lobbyists like Phil Morris and the cigarette people are. But what we do try to do and what our, our goal is, is normally when people will pass anti-tobacco, quote-unquote, legislation, they're really aiming it at cigarettes and smokeless. Those are the two primary targets. 
pipe tobacco almost never is the primary target for anybody. But the way legislation gets worded sometimes, uh, we can get caught into a lot of collateral damage. So our main goal is to go in and talk to these guys and put in a little exception. You know, our biggest goal is to put in the words, except pipe tobacco, uh, when there's some particularly onerous uh, bill that is being proposed. Generally speaking, we've been fairly uh, successful uh, doing this, but it is a it is a constant, constant battle. I mean, uh, politicians do not lose votes by putting forth anti-tobacco legislation. So you have to be constantly vigilant. And uh, and the Pipe Tobacco Council, I mean, thank God it exists, because if it didn't, we'd have to create it from scratch, because you have to be constantly on your toes. It's not – there isn't a week that's gone by in the last – 10 years where I haven't been on the phone with our lobbyists, either on the state or the federal level, dealing with some crazy, crazy issue that's coming up. Can you tell us about how big the pipe tobacco market is in comparison to the domestic cigarette business? (laughs) Well, uh, okay. Uh, Yes. Um, I actually did a presentation to the FDA uh, back in October of 2011, and Pipe tobacco, if you converted everything into pounds, because, again, it's very hard to compare sticks of cigarettes to sticks of, 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 of cigars to pounds of chewing tobacco and snuff. So if you compare it all, pipe tobacco is 0.1% of the tobacco business. So it's pretty small. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a blip. On on the uh, on on the on the scale. I mean, you know, my factory is in Richmond, Virginia, and I always like to joke that there's two tobacco companies in Richmond, Virginia. There's some of tobacco company and some other one that name escapes me. Uh, Philip Morris, I believe, and uh, one slightly bigger than the other. I mean, Philip Morris probably throws out more tobacco uh, by 9 a.m. Uh, than than the whole pipe tobacco industry produces in an entire year. So uh, so yeah, it's but. But the problem is they've got deep pockets. They have their own legislative agenda, and uh, it may not be in congruence to ours. So we, we constantly have to be on our toes. Would you would you actually consider uh, Philip Morris as being against us? Well, you know, i got to be careful what I say here, but <clears throat> I'll, I'll use the FDA as an example. I think Philip Morris, I mean, again, if I were in their position, I probably would feel differently than I do. But Philip Morris has a 50% approximately, I mean, no one knows exactly, but they have about a 50% market share of cigarettes in the United States. They're <laughs> an enormous, enormous corporation. They pushed actively for FDA legislation, I mean, FDA regulation of tobacco products. Which you know, seems counterintuitive. Everybody normally would say, "Why on earth would they they bring this, you know, upon everybody, including themselves?" And I think their theory has been that if they'll be the only ones that has enough money and enough lawyers to be able to comply with FDA regulations. So if you kill all your competition by having the government do their dirty work then they'll be the only one standing. I think that's their theory. Now, the counter theory to this is, you know, Philip Morris is so huge, I don't know really what competition they have. They certainly don't have any competition from other tobacco products like pipe tobacco. But it's sort of like if you have mice in your house uh, and you decide to, to deal with the mouse problem 
by bringing in a pack of wolves to deal with the mice. Well, you only got rid of your mouse problem, but now you have a worse problem. You have a wolf problem. And I think that's what they're kind of finding out, that their, their, uh, their desire to have the FDA regulate the tobacco uh, industry isn't exactly turning out the way they had originally intended. And now they have a major wolf problem on their hands. So it's kind of like eradicating mosquitoes using a nuclear bomb. Exactly. Or burning down your house to get rid of your termite problem. <laughs> You know, maybe a little short-sighted. Back when I worked for the Danes, I remember exactly understanding that our pipe tobacco sales in the United States was essentially the office stationary budget for the Danish <laughs> cigarette company. <laughs> I was surprised as that. I. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a different world. I mean, to use an analogy, and I've used this analogy before, but I think it's somewhat apt, uh, you know, if you compare the tobacco business to, like, the, the alcohol business, and so cigarettes are like the beer business. I mean, you're talking billions and billions and billions of gallons. Pipe tobacco is more like the fine wine business. Hundreds of brands, I mean, lots of producers, lots of variety, but relatively small volumes, obviously, compared to the amount of, you know, Miller Lite that's sold. Different world. It's a different world, and it's a different market to a different consumer. Uh, but we, sometimes we all get, you know, looped into the same group because we all use the same plant, tobacco. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, I'm going to ask you to forecast a little bit of the future. So stick with all us. Right. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including Calabash, Claws, Dragons, Horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. are back uh paul tell me what do you think is inside your crystal ball what's coming up for us well there, there's really two fronts that i'm concerned about I'm, I'm back in my chairman of the pipe tobacco council role uh the first one is about s-chip uh when s-chip to give a little background on this because I, I don't know whether all your listeners necessarily know the, the whole story on this when S-CHIP, the state children's health insurance program, went through in 2009, they raised all tobacco products up by a certain percent. So the excise tax on pipe tobacco went up 100% and everything else went up 100%. But what happened was RAO became categorized as having the same effective tax rate as cigarettes. So it went up an astonishing like 7,000%. So it's an enormously ridiculous uh, increase in excise tax. Well, as fate would have it, but prior to this, this issue, there was never any problem with people defining what pipe tobacco is compared to what Boyron is. There, there, there is no technical definition in the legislation. It's pipe tobacco is that which is meant to be rolled in, meant to be smoked in a pipe. Rolling around is that which is meant to be rolled in a cigarette, and everyone knows what the difference is. And there are technical differences. The problem is, once this big excise tax went in, in place, 
a lot of the oil oil companies decided to now recategorize their existing products as pipe tobacco, since there's no technical definition in the in the legislation. So all of a sudden, all to save obviously the excise tax. So all of a sudden, all this roll your own now becomes categorized as pipe tobacco. I don't particularly have an issue with that from a from a pipe tobacco world standpoint because pipe tobacco and roll your own are two different products and they're two different consumers. And if they're calling their product pipe tobacco, it's not appealing to the pipe tobacco consumer. For example, there's not a lot of menthol pipe tobacco that was on the market prior to 2009. No. There's quite a bit now. That's, you know, that's the Royal Rome that's masquerading as, as pipe tobacco. The problem comes from when people in the government look at statistics and they see that the amount of pipe tobacco sold in the United States went from approximately 4 to 5 million pounds a year to 25 million pounds a year, <laughs> that looks out of whack. And so they see that, and it's like you have a nail sticking up out of your carpet, and they ha- they want to have a hammer and nail that nail down. There's, so over that period of time, when this was when this was really going going strong, there were several bills that had been introduced to equalize the tax on pipe tobacco and roller iron. And so we had to go up there and constantly keep saying, look, the the issue is. That roll-your-own and pipe tobacco need to be technically defined so that the, that this issue can be resolved, not tax everything at the same rate because that's not what the intent of the law was. This this issue continues to come up because people keep seeing this giant differential in the, in the pounds, and so you know it's not not hard to imagine that uh, that the excise tax on pipe tobacco. Uh, it could could one day go up to approximately twenty five twenty six dollars a pound. That would be major major disruption in the industry, obviously. And right uh, now, now it's now about a dollar seventy uh, two eighty four. So <laughs> going from two dollars eighty four cents a pound to twenty five dollars a pound is quite a big jump. Uh, that's one front. The other front that that also has me very concerned is FDA. You know, when when the uh, Congress and the president signed the bill, gave FDA the authority to regulate the tobacco business. Originally, it was limited to only be able to regulate cigarettes, roll your own, and smokeless. Cigars and pipe tobacco were exempted. Well, but they they left a, a codicil in there that the FDA could then later on claim the authority to regulate all tobacco products. Well, now that they are now they are claiming that authority. And supposedly, any minute, I mean, they've been saying this for a while now, so I'll believe it when it happens, but any minute, the FDA is going to be putting forth rules on regulating pipe tobacco and cigars. The rules on regulating cigarettes and, and roll-your-own and, and chew have already been out there. But, you know, on that issue, and this is one of the reasons I had gone up there to do a presentation to the FDA, You've got a lot of issues that that could be a problem. I mean, like one uh, ingredients. You know, with a lot of the aromatic tobaccos, I mean, you've got very, very complex flavors. Now, most of the manufacturers, including us, all use food grade ingredients, so it's not that we're worried about any particular ingredient. But you don't know whether the FDA might decide to ban characterizing flavors. 
they might say that vanilla is a flavor that uh, you know might appeal to children. I mean, there's not a big rash of uh, uh, teenage pipe smoking uh, breaking out that I know of, but regulators have their own agenda. So there's that aspect of it, the whole the whole flavoring issue. Um, you have the issue with, and I, and I made a, a good case on this one, is that there's definitely going to be a warning label in the future with FDA. <clears throat> right now, there's a de facto warning label on all your brands of pipe tobacco, and it, if you if you have one and you're looking at it, you'll see that it's got the California health warning on it. And most of all of them say, warning, this product contains, produces chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer, birth defects, or other reproductive harm. And that's only if you that's, smoke it in California. That's only if you, if, you, if you buy the product in California. Now, the reality of the pipe tobacco world is no manufacturer or distributor can assure that a product that they are selling will never be in California. We're not big enough to make a separate stock, and no one is, to make a separate inventory just for sales into California. So that's become the de facto warning label for the United States. Right. It doesn't have a. It doesn't have a. You know, it has to be a certain size, or have pictures of children on fire, or you know, diseased lungs, or anything like that. There is going to be, I'm sure, the FDA is going to require a health warning on 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 all tobacco products. The problem is, if you if you use cigarettes as your template, a cigarette pack has a pretty much defined look and size. I mean, there's there's not. There's not, you know, the equivalent of a 12-ounce bag of cigarettes or a 1.75-ounce flat tin. They're all pretty much a cigarette pack is a cigarette pack. If you look at the variety of styles of packaging in pipe tobacco, I mean, this is astonishing. You've got everything from 5-pound bags of bulk, 12-ounce bags of, of pipe tobacco that you might buy in a drugstore, 14-ounce cans, one and a half ounce roll of pouches, one and a half ounce boxes. I mean, on and on and on. In order to have a one regulation that covers all those different styles, is going to be a major problem. The other problem is for the cigarettes, they require eight rotating health warnings. Well, that would be a killer for the pipe tobacco world because of the inventory requirements that it would cause to have every product would have to have eight rotating health warnings. I mean, that would just be a, a real, a real killer. The other, the other concern that I've got, and this is what the secret people are discovering right now, you know, even if all existing products that are on the market as of the time of FDA regulation get grandfathered in, new products are going to have to be submitted to FDA for approval. That's in the that's in the law now. As of what is today? Today is uh, it's, a, it's June, okay, 2013. In middle of June, 2013, uh, there's not been a single product that any of the tobacco companies have submitted to the FDA. This is the cigarette companies now that have been approved, and my gut tells me they never will be. That the FDA is never going to approve any new product ever. So. You know, in the world of pipe tobacco, especially, you know, you have constant churn of new products, and that's part of the excitement of the business. If I think that it's very, very possible that the days of new pipe tobaccos being introduced could be very limited, depending on how FDA rules. I think the cigarette companies are discovering quite, quite to their horror that 
you know, no matter how many lawyers they send up there saying, hey, you haven't approved any of our products, uh, you can't make them approve them. And I think being that it's been two years now and the FDA hasn't approved anything, that kind of tells you which direction this is heading. Um, another concern is, you know, the ability of being able to buy pipe tobacco online or in catalogs. You know, right now, cigarettes to chew and roll your own are banned for being bought on the Internet or on catalogs. Pipe tobacco and cigars, you still can. I don't know whether the FDA might clamp down on that. Uh, there's the whole issue with, you know, are we going to have to have uh, upgrade all of our equipment to meet some kind of crazy standard that might be set for, you know, the food business uh, that somebody like Philip Morris could easily spend, you know, $30 million upgrading their plant uh, to, to meet the new regs. Might be a bit of a stretch. You're <laughs> using pipe tobacco. I don't have an extra thirty million dollars laying around, so that might be a problem. And you're using some machinery that hasn't been made for several decades. Look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Pipe tobacco is not a high tech business. The basic methodology of making pipe tobacco is somewhat unchanged from about 1940, probably. And we have some equipment from the 1940s. I mean, you know, you basically you you take the leaf in and and you steam it and you case it and you cut it and you dry it and you you put some flavor on it and you pack it. I mean, that's that basic model is 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 the same now as it was in the 50s. Um, you know, we're not in the high volume, billions and billions and billions of packs. You know, in the, in the tobacco world, cigarettes deal in billions, cigars deal in millions, pipe tobacco deals in thousands, and, and we have thousands of different brands. You know, making some sort of what they would think would be innocuous uh, regulation on on manufacturing requirements uh, could be uh, could wipe out the whole industry overnight. So that's a concern. And and lastly, I mean, I don't want to be all negative here, but but I know pipe shows and pipe clubs and sampling are very important in the pipe tobacco world. I mean, we don't do – obviously, we're not running national ads on, on TV or in major magazines because, one, it's not cost-effective. And, two, there's easier ways to getting to the pipe con- consumers. I mean, shows like this, for example, or, or yeah. you know, Pipes Magazine. I mean, th- these things exist – you know, and, and and the consumers, you know, are drawn to it. Well, you know, we go to a lot of these uh, pipe shows. We go to the Chicago Pipe Pipe Club uh, show every year, and we're big supporters of it. Same thing with the Richmond show. We give out a lot of our sample products at that at, at these shows, and that's a good way for us to get our product into the hands of, of consumers, let them try it out, and see if they like it. That's the most effective way of promoting uh, pipe tobacco, let somebody smoke it. Well, I mean, it's quite possible that uh, consumer sampling may be completely banned. It is. It has been for, for the smokeless and cigarette uh, guys. And again, I, as chairman of the Pipe Tobacco Council, I'm going to have to be the one that's going to be arguing about the exception for pipe tobacco. And it's it's going to be a long. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a, a, a tough road. So I have a feeling my next few years on the uh, legislative front, I think I'll be burning up the tracks from here to <laughs> D.C. quite often. Let me ask you this real quick on the bulk tobacco. Would they require a health warning on the final package you know, that's yeah, given to you, the consumer? I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a good point. Um, you know, you sell bulk tobacco to Bill's Pipe Shop in a five-pound bag, and then he yeah. puts it in the jar, and then he scoops it out. Well, where's the health warning label? Is the retailer now going to have to put the health warning labels on there? I mean, that's a... 
there's that kind of business doesn't exist in anything else in the in the tobacco world. So you're absolutely right. That is a that is a, another issue that could be you know uh, affected negatively by FDA. And again, FDA doesn't have they're not like coming after pipe tobacco specifically. We're we're just worried about being caught in the collateral damage of making these broad rules that are supposed to catch everybody without making an, an, uh, an assessment for each individual industry subcategory separately. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that we did kind of a preemptive strike uh, when we went up there to present to the uh, FDA before they even started to do their, their ruling. Because I at least wanted to put the, you know, the idea in people's heads about when you're writing these regulations, you need to take into account the differences in the industry. So we, we're not going to be more adversely affected than is really what was even thought. Now that, don't, the, FDA, the FDA does not have a vendetta against the pipe tobacco business, but they might accidentally hurt the business if they don't write the regulations taking into consideration the unique qualities of our industry. Now that we've now that we've talked about all this scary stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, I'm sure. I hope, hopefully, any of your listeners out there haven't uh, jumped yeah. out a window or slit their wrist yeah. at this point. <laughs> Maybe I should have said something first. Uh, yeah, parental discretion advised. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some fun stuff with the new business yes. with McBaron taking you over. What's coming up new? We already talked about Capstan and Three Nuns coming back to the market. Anything else yeah. you want to leak for us? I know the uh, the trade the trade shows a month away. Yeah, well, we have some we have some new bulk tobaccos coming out in uh, in you know in the at the uh, RTDA show. Or I'm sorry, IPCPR show. I'm showing my age here. Yeah. Uh, and and our main focus this year at the show is to get the McBaron product now that we're the distributor in the United States to get you know get a get a wider distribution of, of those products. The products like Plum Cake and Virginia number no. one and Scott's mixture and things like that that uh, haven't had I don't believe the distribution that I think products of that quality should. And well really, you know, to talk about the, the, the combination of the two businesses, it really was the perfect setup in this sense. Where we were the strongest, they weren't players. And where we were the weakest, they were the strongest. So it was a one-and-one equals four kind of situation in the sense that our our thing, we've always been very strong in the aromatics. We've always been very strong in the English blends. We've done very well with bulk over the years. Uh, But we have not had a lot of, you know, pure Virginia flakes. Uh, Those have not been products that we've ever really manufactured here. We've distributed those products over the years, but in very small quantities. But that was always a hole. If I were to say, where was the hole of my portfolio, it was in that category. Well, McBaron, that is their specialty. So their specialty, their, their, that hole has been more than filled. Same thing on, on their end. You know, it, it works both ways in the sense that, you know, we have a pretty pretty decent domestic business, but our export business has, has not been as big as I would have liked it to be. Well, they're going to be able to fill the holes in their portfolio where we have, you know, our English and our aromatics and our specialty products that are now going to, they're going to be distributing overseas for us, you know, being that McBaron is worldwide, 
so both companies now have every possible combination of pipe tobacco that anyone could ever want. Everything from uh, straight Virginia Flake to the to the strongest English imaginable, from tins to bulk to twelve ounce bags to drugstore blends. You, if it's made, we make it. So now let's let's jump into the uh, fast five final questions. We've run a little bit long, but it's been fun, and I uh, I mean you you got so much information that I. I, I gotta <laughs> gotta get the information out there. So, no, I totally understand. Are you ready? Five I'm questions, ready. short answer, long answer, no right or wrong answer. Here we go. What's your yeah. favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is one that Chuck Levy gave me, uh, probably about ten years ago. It's an old Dunhill, and uh, you know, it's funny being in the pipe tobacco manufacturing business. I, you know, I, I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. I'm given pipes, you know, so I'm not really a collector. Uh, people usually ask me, well, where'd you get that pipe? I go, oh, well, Chuck Levy at Ewan Reese or, or Alan Schwartz, uh, you know, has, gave me this pipe. And so I, I have a pretty decent collection of pipes, but they've all been given to me by various people over the years. So, But that's probably been my favorite pipe. What's your favorite tobacco? My favorite tobacco, one that I am smoking right now, is Blend 5, which is a product that we make, obviously. And uh, it is an extremely strong English blend. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm the kind of guy, I, I like aromatics as well. In fact, I was going to smoke some Taste of Summer in just a minute, uh, you know, being that it's June now. But uh, Blend 5 is one of those really strong English blends that, you know, takes you out back and slaps you around a little bit. I mean, I, I, I like the taste of Latakia. And if you like the taste of Latakia like I do, uh, Blend 5 is definitely a, a very strong uh, Latakia taste. And what's your favorite drink? My favorite drink, well, I mean, I, I'm more of a wine drinker, but I do like, for mixed drinks, I like martinis, but real martinis, uh, ones with gin and vermouth. I'm a purist in that sense. And I do like a good old-fashioned. My uh, my great-uncle <laughs> was general manager of the Mayflower Hotel up in D.C. for 40 years. And then when he retired, he became head bartender at the National Press Club. So I tend to, you know, I spend every summer with him over the of growing up up in D.C. I tend to kind of gravitate to these very old school drinks, like old fashions and and, cos, and not cosmopolitans, but Manhattans and and uh, martinis and sidecars, things of that nature that kind of went out of style probably about 1955. But um, <laughs> that, those are still my favorites. What's your favorite thing to do while smoking a pipe? I actually like to kick back and uh, and watch a, a, a either a documentary or a cheesy Italian horror movie. And where you know, is your I, where's your favorite place to smoke a pipe? Uh, either in my office or in my study in my house. And with that, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I'm in the tobacco business. I actually can smoke at work, and that, that makes it nice. <laughs> We may be the uh, we may be two of the five in the entire country. Uh, it's a very short list, no yeah. question. With that, I'll let everybody know the websites are Sutliff Tobacco S U T L I F F dash Tobacco dot com and McBaron M A C dash B A R E N dot com. Two websites, one for each side of the uh, each side of the company. Oh. Uh, 
Yes, I mean McBaron's website is uh, is their website for, for Denmark. Uh, so, but all those products are available in the United States. You know, now that we're distributing. Also, we have uh, Southern Tobacco Company also has a, and you can link to it from the web page, uh, a Facebook account. And uh, there, there's some interesting things on the website. You can go in, you can take a little quiz where it says find your perfect tobacco. They take a little quiz and make a suggestion on the tobaccos that you might like based on answers that you give that aren't necessarily tobacco-related answers. It's kind of a fun thing to do. And we also have, have gone through and taken every one of our products and match them up to the closest retailer in your area. So, for example, if you like Blend 5, and you go on our website, and you click on Blend 5, and then they'll ask you for your zip code, it'll show you all the retailers in your area that carry that product, and then also give you options on buying it online. So our biggest goal with our website is to match up consumers that smoke our product to retailers that sell our product. And I think we've done a pretty decent job at uh, at, at doing that in our new 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 programs and there's a pretty good tobacco 101 section yep i'll learn some new stuff so with that i'll say thank you very much for your time thank you for all the work that you've done with the uh, federal government for all All right thanks brian and uh thanks for uh, inviting me to come on the show and it's been a lot of fun and i'll uh see you next month in las vegas Uh, absolutely my 33rd trip (laughs) we'll be back in just a minute Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favourite blends outside of the US? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favourite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the US and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We'll be back to the show in just a moment, but now, random Random thoughts thoughts or what the f*** is he thinking? When you get a new haircut and somebody says, gee, I really like your new haircut, does that mean that they thought your hair looked like crap before? See, I told you. And now, back to our show. Well, there you go. How was that for a ton of information? So, originally, I wanted to have Paul on for two separate episodes. We got going on that interview, and it went great, and I just wanted to keep it all as one. Forgot to mention to you, this is a longer show than normal, but it's all because it's pre-recorded for you, and no time constraints to worry about tonight. So, there you go. A little extra little bit of uh, behind the scenes of what's going on in the tobacco world right now. So I want to thank Paul for all of his time. And again, thank you for all your effort with everything that you do. Hey, let's go right into some music right now. By request, the uh, bass player in this band smoked a pipe in the movie. So this is some Spinal Tap.
First of all, let me say I love a great parody. What I find ironic about this is it was uh, directed and put together by Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner, whose father Carl was a uh, lifelong cigar smoker, Rob headed up the uh, basically the beginning of what became the state children's health insurance program. It was a California-based thing, and Rob was the one that really started that up. And yet he had a pipe smoker in his movie just about uh, 15 years earlier, though. Anyway, I do want to say in following up on some of the stuff that Paul said, for the American listeners, this is very much like what is going on in Europe already. Five years ago, six, seven years ago, this is what our European and Asian friends have had to deal with, the friends up in Canada, already having to deal with a lot of this legislation that we're looking at coming down the road. So, Alert one, alert one, incoming emergency action message. Real quick, in the mailbag, a couple of new items have hit the market recently. The GLP's blends, Sextant and Navigator, now available in 8-ounce tins, a little more economical in pricing, uh, great for aging in those big tins, so check those out. Gary Schreier's Briar Books publication, The Pipe Man's Daily Fair. It's uh, poems to inspire the pipe-smoking man. I'm also working on getting some uh, real poetry readings, actually by the poets, on the show, so we're working on that for a couple of future things. Real quickly, thank yous to John Dempsey, Gary Mac 99 Peter Field, uh, several other folks that have left some really nice comments for us on iTunes. We appreciate all those. Those comments help the show get found. So if you get a chance, please make sure and leave a comment, post a review on iTunes. I appreciate it. Helps out the show greatly. A uh, couple other thank yous to Jack Eagling. I hope I didn't destroy your name. Randy Hogue. Great comments. Thank you from uh, all of us here at the Pipes Magazine radio show. Glad you guys are enjoying the show. Hope you enjoyed the uh, Tokotomi interview. And uh, just a little heads up, I did have a conversation with Fred Hanna about having him come back on again. So, got a lot going on. Remember, next week, Wednesday, 8 p.m., 8 p.m. Wednesday for the next show because Kevin and I will be in Kansas City for the pipe show. We'll be at the pipe club meeting on Thursday night. Don't tell them. We'll sneak in. And uh, I'll be hanging out at the pipe show on uh, Friday night, Saturday, and then heading back home Sunday afternoon. So a lot of fun stuff coming up. Stick around. Rant time is next. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. Can somebody please explain to me the benefit of these auto-dialers or computer-generated dialing that just rings the house, and then you pick up the phone, you say, hello, hello, and there's nobody there. Well, recently we've been getting a rash of them, and I don't know who it is or what's calling, but nine out of ten times, it's just the actual phone that's ringing. You pick it up, and nobody's there. 
the one out of ten times that somebody is there, guaranteed it's somebody trying to raise money, a fundraiser, something, somebody trying to sell you something, whatever it is. Anyway, what bothers me the most about these is if I'm home and I answer the phone, I yeah, I got caller ID, I know it's a junk phone call, but if I answer the phone, I want to mess around with the... Uh, I want to mess around with the solicitor. I want to play with them for a while. And nine times out of ten, it's just an auto-dialer, and it's dialing, and for some reason, they just don't figure out that it picks up. Now, do these companies realize with these auto-dialers that they're not connecting? What is the deal with them not connecting? You'd think they'd want to connect to whoever they're auto-dialing. Maybe they just don't have enough people on staff, and they don't have any calls in... They don't have anybody in queue to pick up the call, or it takes too long to transfer it over, but whatever it is, it frustrates me because if I pick up the phone and I answer that phone, I know it's a solicitation call, I know it what's coming up, the only reason I answer it is because, out of sport, I just like to mess around with these people. Sometimes I really like to ask them, you know, what the weather's like, where they live, what it was like, uh, where what the area is like that they live in. If it's somebody overseas, I love trying to figure out what country they're from and trying to break them down so that they actually admit that they're in a different country. Ask them what time of the day it is. If they get really really abusive with me or really pushy with me or nasty with me, I ask them, so when when were you growing up that you decided that you wanted to be a telephone solicitor? Now, I got nothing against the people. They're doing an honest job. They're getting paid for it, but it's a pain in the neck bothers me because if I answer the phone, I want to play around with somebody. I guarantee you that if you're calling me, though, I really don't need your product. I know what's on the internet. I know how to search for products. I know what I want. I don't need you calling me and telling me. So there you go. Got an extra long pre-recorded episode for you. Lots of information there with Paul. Hopefully we can get Paul back on. He can update us on some new stuff after the trade show. Remember next week, Wednesday, 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 next week, 8 p.m. So, I want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in. Thank you to all of our regular loyal listeners. Hey, school's out for summer, so drive safely. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather Celebrity voices are impersonated. Some results may vary. This broadcast is copyrighted by the EIBS network for the private use of our audience. Any other use of this broadcast or any pictures, descriptions, or accounts of the broadcast without the EIBS network's consent is fine with us. In fact, we kind of hope that you'll pass it around. We kind of hope that you'll help us uh, spread the word on this uh, lousy little show that we keep doing week after week after week. And we hope that more and more people get tortured by listening to this crazy little show.